Here's Pastor Ed with a brief preview of today's edition of Voice of Faith. It seems like there are seasons where there's no light at the end of the tunnel. That It just keeps on going on and on and on. And things don't change. And in that moment, we could be tempted to doubt, to question. But that can be a moment of growth, a moment of faith, a moment of spiritual development where we begin to understand better God's mind and God's heart. We've all been through times of hardship, sometimes lasting longer than we thought possible. Many times we will pray endlessly and see no results or none that we're aware of. These times can cause us to question our faith, especially if we feel we're not being heard. Pastor Ed today asks us to look at these situations as a choice. Will we choose to trust God or to give in to our doubts? God will always be there and He will support us, so we should choose to trust Him in the midst of our doubts. Let's join Pastor Ed in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 11, verse 3, for part one of his message entitled, Are You Really the One? It's a question. A question that is one of the most haunting questions found in the New Testament. Not because the content, but because who asked it and when they asked it. Well, let me read it to you. It's found in the Gospel of St. Matthew. Here's the question. Are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? It was addressed to Jesus. Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Had a Pharisee, Sadducee, asked that question, we would have felt good about it. It would have indicated that perhaps they were on the journey of faith towards faith in Christ. Had one of the disciples asked that question, we would consider it a natural question to ask. But the man who asked that question had just months prior proclaimed that Jesus was Messiah. That he was the one who the prophets predicted, who was to come, the promised one. And now he's second-guessing himself. He's questioning himself. He's asking the question, did I really get it right? Are you really the one? He had told the crowds, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He had testified that God the Father revealed to him that Jesus was Messiah, the Spirit of God descending upon Christ at his baptism. The heavens rent open, and the Father saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. And now, just months Later, he's questioning himself. Are you really the one? What happened, John? You're a prophet. What happened, John? You testified to us. What happened, John? John was having a crisis of faith. He was going through a dark time, deep difficulties. 
And in this moment, his faith is wavering. How did he get there? How does that happen? This passage of Scripture shows us how at times we could doubt the very thing that we stand for and are committed to. That's what's happening in John's life. I want you to look, first of all, that there are experiences in our life, conditions in our life, things that happen that can generate doubt in us. In verses 2 to 3 of chapter 11, when John heard, notice, in prison, what Christ was doing, he sent to his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Notice where that question came from. John, in prison. John was used to the wilderness, the desert. The stars were the canopy in which he slept under and preached under. The Jordan was where he proclaimed the gospel, the good news, baptizing the multitudes that came to him. And now, this man who had lived in the outdoors, who was used to the open air and the freedom of the desert, is now confined, placed in a dark dungeon beneath the ground. John, his circumstances had changed his experience. There are times in our life that we feel confined and it's like a prison experience. This man was no reed, Jesus said, shaken by the winds of the times. No, no, no. that wasn't John at all. John didn't walk the line of political correctness. As a prophet, he spoke out and called sin, sin, wherever he saw it, even in Herod's household. And he suffered the consequences of being not politically correct. There he was in a prison. There are circumstances that literally try our souls. We're stretched We're pulled. We're pressured. John is in such a circumstance now. He's confined. And what's worst of all is his cousin Jesus never comes to visit him. He performs no miracle to release him from prison. It seems like he's forgotten. There John is and This moment, this trying circumstance, his faith begins to waver. Maybe you find yourself in a trying circumstance that tries your faith. You're very sensitive to pain, and you've had to learn to live with pain these past number of years. You've had to learn to overcome it. Uh, Perhaps... You're facing some financial condition. You'd never expected you would face anything like this. And it seems like there's no end in sight. That 
your financial condition just won't change. Maybe your dreams of a family life have been shattered in a thousand pieces. The marriage you hope for, the motherhood or fatherhood that you dreamed about, all broken. Yes, there are circumstances that try us. And in those circumstances, everything can look dark and overwhelm us. But not only was John in these trying circumstances, but circumstances that stopped him. Dead in his tracks, he hit a wall. He was born to preach. He was born to proclaim to the nation, repent, turn back to God. Now the crowds were no longer there. The congregation was no longer about him. In isolation, he's alone in a dark prison. Depression, anxiety, fear can put people in a prison house of emotion. There are times that circumstances in our life conspire against us to stop us in our tracks. Suddenly we realize how little we control our lives when the doctor comes in with a prognosis and you realize how helpless you are, how dependent you are. That's where John is. He's in this prison right now. When it's dark like that, maybe a serious illness, the loss of a loved one, we can walk through and experience a crisis of faith. One of the greatest theologians, the greatest spiritual writers, one of the greatest writers of the 20th century was C.S. Lewis. In his latter years, he married for the very first time a woman by the name of Joy. They had a wonderful relationship and then discovered she had cancer. They prayed, they sought the Lord for help. The cancer went into remission, but then it came back with a vengeance. And he lost his wife that he loved so deeply. He went through a crisis of faith. And in this crisis, he wrote a book anonymously discussing and working through his own emotions. A Grief Observed was the title of the book. Listen to his words, this great man of faith. When you are happy, so happy you have no sense of needing him, so happy that you are tempted to feel his claims upon you as an interruption, if you remember yourself and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it feels welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain. What do you find? A door slammed in your face and the sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that, silence. John the Baptist, I think, felt something similar. Silence. Where is God? Where are you? There are times in our lives where we hit a trying circumstance where 
We meet a circumstance that stops us dead in our tracks and we question our value. We wonder what life is all about. We question the meaning of our existence and in those dark moments, we could doubt in the darkness what God has shown us in the light. And that's where John is. We must remind ourselves that those dark emotions that overwhelm us are not God's voice. And even when we can't trace his hand, we can trust his heart. John had these experiences that were trying and that stopped him in his tracks. But there was also something else that tripped him up, that stumbled him in this journey of faith. It was expectations that he had. The expectations that create doubt. It says, when John heard in prison what Christ was doing. Notice the emphasis, what Christ was doing. John didn't quite understand Jesus. Jesus' ministry and his work didn't fit in with what John had in mind for Messiah to do. John was a, a prophet of righteousness. Turn the nation back to God. John was a prophet of right and wrong. Everything was black and white. Here Jesus was eating and drinking with sinners. Things hadn't changed since Messiah came. The political structures, the religious structures were still there. And yet, Jesus was ministering. See, John said he's coming with a a winnowing fork. He's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. He expected justice. The passages about Messiah talk about justice, talk about judgment. But at that moment, John didn't fully understand the coming of Christ, that he was going to come first in grace, then in judgment. First in mercy to bring redemption and salvation. Then when he would come again, it would be in the wrath and judgment of God. John didn't see those passages, yet he was filled with the Spirit from childhood, from birth, from the womb, yet he was a man of the Word. We must remind ourselves again and again there are mysteries, there are things about God and His plan that we don't understand. And when we come face to face with those mysteries, We can choose to wrap our lives around questions and live in a question mode. Or we can simply say, Lord, I'm going to put it in your hands. The passage of Scripture that we're dealing with here shows us that God so patiently works with the honest doubter. There are some people that simply doubt so that they don't have to serve. They doubt so that they don't have to walk with God. Henry Drummond said, 
Christ distinguished between doubt and unbelief. Doubt says, I can't believe. Unbelief says, I won't believe. Doubt is honest. Unbelief is obstinate. It was Stuart McAllister. He was on a mission. He was crossing over in the communist countries to Czechoslovakia. During this time when he was smuggling Bibles and hymn books and Christian literature, he was caught by the communist. They placed him in jail with his companion. And he expected God to get him out quickly, God to do certain things for him, because he was doing the work of God, serving God, and it didn't unfold the way he expected or anticipated And he writes later on in reflection these words. He said, since I had never given any conscious thought to worldviews in general, or mine in particular, I was unaware how many unexamined assumptions I was living by. I did not realize how little change had penetrated my heart. And under the pressure, the gaps were painfully revealed and felt. From the perspective of time, I can now answer these questions meaningfully, but I needed the experience of doubt and hardship to show me how much I did not know or was not rooted in biblical answers to these core questions. John, your expectations of Jesus were not correct. And oftentimes, Christians have expectations of what Jesus will do. God, here's my agenda. Do it this way. Here's my timeline. God, do it this way. Only to discover that God has a mind of his own. Only to discover that God is sovereign and sees what we don't see and works in ways far above and beyond our ways. As Isaiah the prophet said, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. The NIV translates 55.8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. There are things about life, about the journey, that we just don't always get a hold of. I was in the hospital visiting one of our congregants prior to surgery, and I read a passage found in Psalm 88 from the message translation, because this person had gone through just such a long time of trials. And Psalm 88 read, God, put me on your salvation agenda. My life has been filled with trouble. (laughs) Do you ever feel that way? God, would you put me on your agenda? My life has been filled with trouble. It seems like there are seasons where there's no light at the end of the tunnel, that It just keeps on going on and on and on. And things don't change. And in that moment, we could be tempted to doubt, to question, to wonder. But that can be a moment of growth, a moment of faith, a moment of spiritual development where we begin to understand better God's mind and God's heart. 
a place of revelation of his ways. Jesus said, Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Those words were spoken to John through his disciples. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Blessed is the man who doesn't stumble. He doesn't trip. Sometimes God just confuses us. He doesn't do things the way we think he should do things. We feel our circumstances are so trying. They stop us in our tracks. Or our expectations of how God will work, what God will do. Uh, We've been praying and praying and praying, but those prayers seem to go unanswered. We've been doing what we know to do, but things don't change. They go from bad to worse. In those times, we need to do what John did. He took his questions to God. He didn't stew in them. He didn't stir them around. He didn't wrap himself around that question. But he simply took them to Jesus. The encounter that converts our doubt. In Matthew eleven four to 6 Jesus is replying to the question, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised. The good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Uh, Those words were a a compilation of various texts in the book of Isaiah. And they would ring in John's ears as John knew the scriptures so well. They were messianic. See, what Jesus did is tell John what I'm doing. And in Matthew 8, in Matthew 9, in Matthew 10, you have Jesus healing the lame, Jesus restoring hearing to the deaf, Jesus curing the leopard, Jesus raising the dead, him preaching the gospel to the poor. Look at the life changes that are happening John, look at the transformation in the hearts, the minds, and the lives of people. John, look at that. That's the work of Messiah. One of the greatest testimonies of the validity of Christianity is the transformation that happens in people's lives. Those bound by drug and alcohol, free to live a life of Righteousness, those bound by the powers of darkness and sin, free to live holy and godly lives. Men and women transformed throughout this congregation, throughout this church. Men and women could stand up and say, Jesus freed me. Jesus healed me. Jesus redeemed me. That's what Jesus was saying. John, look at the changed lives. Look at the impact. The difficulty when we go through questions, the difficulty is that we could veer off the right path onto the wrong path. Our doubts could become cynicism if we don't take them to God, if we don't lay them at His feet. 
We've all heard the cliche phrase, Jesus is the reason for the season. But the question is this, is he? Is Jesus the center of your life? Or is Christmas just one of the two times during the year that you visit the church? Are you a part of the body of Christ? During the Christmas season, there are many opportunities to stop and reflect on the greatest gift of all. But like all gifts, it's only enjoyed when you receive it. The important part of this season is being sure that you have a personal relationship with Jesus. Are you ready for the King? Have you received the upward call? We'd like to invite you to join us at Faith Assembly for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. For driving directions and more information, log on to voiceoffaithradio.com and follow the link to Faith Assembly. Or feel free to give us a call at 845-462-5955. That's 845-462-5955. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to Voice of Faith with Dr. Ed Jones. Dr. Jones and the entire congregation at Faith Assembly would like to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year.